I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Marcus Jones. And we... I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> do you not do it with the, the guest there, too? I mean, we do, and that was on accident, but let's pretend it was on purpose. <laughs> Just um, fucking cutting me out already, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Say your How many weeks name. has it been since we recorded, Aaron? How many weeks? Thankfully, a while uh, since Marcus was on. <laughs> like last June. Yeah. But go no, ahead. Yeah, uh, say your name. I'm Marcus Jones. No, nobody cares. Aaron doesn't care. Okay. <laughs> All right, Peter... And, and let's pretend everything was cool, and we love to watch. We love to watch knows that good whiskey make jackrabbit slap to bear. Don't make me a target. Don't make me a target. When he reach back in his mind. <laughs> hey, Pete. Hey, Marcus. <laughs> hey, Aaron. Hey, guys that I both love equally. Yeah, welcome uh, welcome to another episode of We Love to Watch. I'm anticipating this being our worst episode ever. Uh, <laughs> I, I am on it, so <laughs> probably. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I don't even think it's going to be that. I think that uh, we have a joke that we find very funny, and uh, we're going to run it into the ground, and <laughs> depends on how uh, other people feel about it. I that. anticipate but, um, the second half of this episode being recorded um, inside of a closet while my two dads argue <laughs> let's do a couple things really quick so um first where we love to watch we're a movie podcast we pick a theme each month and we talk about four or five movies around those theme and if we remember we compare and contrast them we're on our third week of uh people are the most dangerous game month and we're covering a little movie uh called hard target and uh, with us today is Marcus Jones, uh, who uh, runs uh, the John Pod Van Dam podcast, as well as um, Celluloid Cinema. Crush Celluloid. <laughs> Crush Celluloid. Hey, do you want me to? I was going to say Celluloid to Closet, closet but that's a different thing. <laughs> do you want I, no, it's cool. I, I run Celluloid Closet. I knew Celluloid was in it, uh, but. So and and we were we were actually hoping to really have uh, this be our first uh, double guest episode in a while. We invited Brandon Lede because he uh, is a big fan of of Marcus. He's a big fan of us. I guess this is a weird way to, to introduce him. Uh, more more that we hadn't had him on in a while, and he's also he lives in New Orleans. Um, so he was all set to go, and then he found out Marcus was on it, and he was like, "No, I'm yeah, like, so, well, we uh, have but, a thing." So uh, so, but we're very excited to be joined by, by Marcus. So there's there's something. There's going to be a lot of probably comments from me uh, throughout this episode. And the last thing I want is for our listeners to be confused and be like, I don't know what's going on here. So I want to just tell a little story about how Marcus and I got to this point. And, and then, you know, the listeners have that information. They know where I'm coming from. They know my perspective. Perspective is a very important part of this podcast. And I want to make sure our listeners do. So last November, we're doing something that Peter and I are super excited about, right? George Romero month, but not just that. We're doing the four first Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead series. We're doing Night of the Living Dead. Not only is it our first November episode doing Night of the Living Dead, one of my favorite movies, it's also our last last week of Spooktober recap where we get to say all the great movies that we've been saving up and what we watch, what we like. Maybe a little recap of some of our favorites. And as our audience knows, we I'm, love to watch. I mean – it's right there in the title. If you don't know, I don't know how you found it. I guess millennials are all ironic. Maybe people took it as a sort <laughs> we of... We love to watch. <laughs> they accidentally typed in, we love to mayo. Ah. Uh, it's very popular right now. Anyways, so so I'm on. We're recording with Ethan Warren. And uh, I'm like, you know, I get on the mic with, with Peter and I, I just kind of go like this. I go, ah, ah, 
and you know just maybe clear my throat maybe some dust got in there who knows and then peter's like aaron 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 you're clearly sick i care about you i love you um why don't you like it's i i literally i can't let you go on i can't let you go on um and I'm like, okay, no, Peter, you know, I feel fine. Like, I'm on here right now. He's like, no, Aaron, if something were to happen to you, I couldn't live with myself. Don't worry. Marcus has watched the movie and is ready. He's actually on Skype right now, ready to record. You go to bed. And I'm like, hey, I'm so glad that my buddy is looking out for me like this. I'm going to do it. And then I, you know, I went and I laid down. And I'm like, you know, Marcus just started that podcast with, with Peter, the one about those dumb movies that everyone hates. Did, did he, like, threaten Peter and make Peter seem to care about me so that when I just made a little a little whiff of a cough that I was uh, gaslit into be- believing I was sick to go and went and laid down and so I missed out on an episode? Uh, will always have one up for me for this. And, you know, I think I'm doing pretty good considering I've allowed Marcus – to, to come back on this podcast and join us. But I'd be lying if I said there weren't still some feelings and some some things that we're probably going to have to work out over the course of this entire episode. Um, so that's, I mean, that's 100% accurate as far as I remember it. Uh, any contradiction will probably be uh, more gaslighting from Marcus to Peter or vice versa. Yeah, I've got some so. things to say. <laughs> um, Marcus, um, okay. This I don't. I mean, honestly, if they're con- if they're if they're contradicting my account, I don't want to hear them, Marcus. I, if, you, if you're being, I don't know if I want to get in the middle of this, but I seem to remember there being a situation where Aaron couldn't record, and then a good friend I of mean, the show, a good friend of ours, decided to, you know, step up to the plate, take a swing at bat, and did a great job. Saving Aaron's neck, making a, making sure that we didn't miss a week of this show. I mean, that's not how I remember it at all. Oh, okay. And two, I, again, I think I think Marcus has some sort of control over you. <laughs> he's he's dumbing down your brain by making you watch those Ernest movies. He does have a point there, <laughs> and, and he's and he's molding it into this believing this clearly fictional account of what occurred. Um, um, I think you do have some water there. Uh, the Ernest movies do have a softening effect on the brain. Um, it tends to make folds in the brain disappear. Yeah. Oh, I, no, I've heard your episodes. They've gotten progressively worse. <laughs> um, can we throw a plug in right now? For I, I'm, I'm just kidding. I haven't listened to them. Uh, you know what? That hurts just as much. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marcus, let's do a real proper plug. Marcus uh, has his own podcast called Jean-Pod Van Damme. That is exclusively yeah, I already said about it, Jean-Claude yeah. Van Damme. If this yeah, is you attempting, yeah, hold but on. you said if it this all is your, sassy. Uh, if, this is, if this is your attempt to cut out everything I just said, don't even think about <laughs> it. <laughs> don't even think about doing something on my edit. My edit? Yeah. God, yeah, guys, my guys, words. guys, I, I feel I've raised the tension in the room just by being here. You guys are fighting <laughs> with each other now. You're supposed to love one another. And you, I mean, I'll give you this. Marcus, I'll give you this. You can read a room pretty accurately. <laughs> You are definitely the problem. That's one of my superpowers. Um, um, and so Marcus has a great podcast called Jean-Pod Van Damme. And 
He's definitely got a podcast called that. I and definitely so do. We brought him in as an expert on the show to this episode, and you're attacking him. Marcus, what do you think about all this? I'm not attacking him. I'm giving an accurate description of events <laughs> as they occurred. I'm like, I'm like the news. So, Aaron, I, th- I think things have escalated between us, and we might be the ones being played here. I'm kind of thinking this is all Pete. Because when Pete came to me for that Night of the Living Dead episode, he was like, man, Aaron is deathly ill. He's not going to be able to record. He feels terrible about it. Uh, is there any way you could possibly just like kind of come be an extra guest to save our show he needs us Aaron is too proud to to ask you himself so he asked me to do this and I'm kind of starting to think maybe Pete's maybe Pete's just playing the strings from behind the scenes maybe he just wants two people to fight over his affection and just wants to start drama and chaos because we all know Pete's a little drama queen so Marcus this sounds like classic Marcus gaslighting because Everything sounds... I I could be like, oh, yeah, maybe that is what happened, Marcus. Except for one thing. You had already watched the fucking movie somehow. But I actually think that Pete let me know, like, the day before that you weren't feeling well, and it might come to that. So I watched it just in case, not knowing if I'd even record, and then he uh, came back see, to now, me. Now, look, at the, it's, it's, I mean, the story's changing a little. So I'm so, he I just acted as an alternate, just in case. Look, guys, let's agree... That you've perpetrated a, a crime <laughs> that most countries would be prosecutable against me. I'm here to talk about a movie I like, and I'm excited to hear Peter your thoughts. And let's go on with the show, <laughs> Marcus. I'm just I'm just so confused right now. How do I feel about this? I, I knew. It. How do you feel about this? Am I right, Peter? Uh, no, 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 no. Seriously, you have to tell me how I feel about this, P- Peter. You think I'm right? Tell tell me you think I'm right. <laughs> Um, All right. So, so Marcus, we've already plugged you a couple times, so I don't think you need to. But I did hear that you brought a game. Yeah, a very brief uh, just whatever game. Because, of course, we're talking about Hard Target uh, and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, And I've gone on at length about Van Damme, of course. Both of you have been on that show and gone on at length about Van Damme with me. Um, But something that can be just as interesting about an actor or director or something, uh, even more so than the films they make, are the films that they didn't make. So I have a little game where I brought uh, six movies, and some of these Van Damme was attached to or going to be in and either passed or dropped out, and some of them he was not. And I was going to give one at a time each of you one of these films and have you guess if he actually was a part of this film or not. Because of course one's like, he was the original Predator before you know it became kevin peter hall and like he was gonna be in the first expendables but passed on it so that's the game that i brought it it sounds somewhat clever except that you just ruined two of your answers so not a great start for a game show host but i have six movies that are not those two (laughs) okay well good planning then so uh i guess i'll start with peter because aaron's just gonna be mean to me Hmm. (laughs) so peter uh, what a surprise. <laughs> was Van Damme up for and passed on the lead role of Frank in the transporter that eventually went to Jason Statham? False. You are correct. It is false. I feel like at that point, n- no one was looking to him. That was kind of an nadir in his career. He was he was in the straight to the direct-to-video jail. Also, you guys might not know this, but Jason Statham is bald. And uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, especially in a movie like this, has too much hair. Oh, uh, so. Almost a frightening amount of hair. Uh, it like it's like uh, pubic hairs gained sentiment <laughs> and went on his head and just kept extending so, until they could reach the ground to walk on their own. Pubic hairs. This is the greasiest, crustiest Van Damme film I think there's ever been. Marcus, confirm or deny? Uh, I confirm. This is the grossest hair of any movie. Ever. <laughs> 
looks pretty gross throughout this entire film. And there are so many yeah. people in this movie that just look at Van Damme with like these wide just eyes that don't understand what he is. And I think it's all because of the hair. Here's where you know you have a problem. Wilford Brimley looks like he showered more recently than <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You are not presenting your star in a good light if he looks less hygienic than Wilford Brimley, who, we should mention, lives in a shack and eats animals that he's killing himself in this movie. You gotta scrub that hair sometimes, chance. <laughs> perfect spot on impression yeah you're right it's really hard to do wilford bremley's impeccable <laughs> cajun scent <laughs> now i feel like you're just attacking left right you're seeing enemies everywhere and you're getting a little paranoid well everyone's out together <laughs> okay uh, so uh aaron it, it is your turn uh true or false yeah. for this one uh van damme was offered the role of the main bad guy in rush hour three and said Nah. Yeah, I mean, Rush Hour 3, no one saw, and that's about where Van Damme was at, so that sounds right to me. Okay, that is also correct. He actually was up for that and passed it, and I believe that role went to Max von Sydow. They're the same. That's a one-to-one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Max von Sydow uh, famously impressed uh, Ingmar Bergman by doing a uh, spin kick in a restaurant. Kick. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> Hey, Ingmar. What what if instead of like I don't know playing chess, what if I just kick his fucking head off? <laughs> <laughs> and Ingmar's like the film uh, would be over. Max Manzato famously thick Brooklyn accent. <laughs> uh, so Peter, Zombieland. Initially, before the kind of iconic cameo by Bill Murray, that was originally offered to Jean Claude Van Damme. I'm going to say no. You are incorrect. That actually was offered to Van Damme before Bill Murray took on that uh, very good I remember cameo. reading it was offered to a, like a shit ton of people. And one of them was Van Damme. And, like, <laughs> well, no, but like it was offered to a bunch of people and they couldn't really get anyone. And then like it was just one of those random things where someone had left a message on Bill Murray's answering machine that he takes rolls on. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And everyone's like, oh, you were like way above what we were expecting. <laughs> and it's And it's funny, though, because... I could totally see, like, Woody Harrelson's character being obsessed with Bloodsport or something. And them doing, exactly. like, a Bloodsport reenactment or something. <laughs> I could totally see that. And then... Yeah, you can basically do it with any... It feels like any movie star that has, like, a persona. Yes. And has, like, a... I mean, you could have done that cameo and probably done it pretty well. And that was post uh, the film JCVD, right? It was around yeah. the same time, I think. Maybe a year later. Wait, and he would do he would do a very with that, and as well as in a more comedic sense, um, Jean Claude Van Johnson. That was the, the Amazon show he did, and plus you get to see uh, Jean Claude Van Damme as a zombie. It would it would have all made sense, I think. Jean, it was basically him lamenting that he didn't take that role, and he needed to give us a whole <laughs> series about it. But yeah, so Marcus, why don't you ask Aaron a question now? Okay, Aaron. Uh, how about this? Ocean's 13, the role of Greco Montgomery that was init uh, eventually taken by Julian Sands, was uh, initially offered to Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, did you write these questions? Because it feels like you're reading them for the first time. <laughs> no, I absolutely am. I basically just put movie who played character. And I'm okay, sorry. <laughs> I feel bad enough that you answered me legitimately when I was just trying to <laughs> do my trademark uh, being mean to Marcus bit. But uh, it's, it's getting to me, yeah. Aaron. It's starting to get to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mission accomplished then. Yeah, no. He was. Oh, no. He, yeah, sure. He was up for that. Incorrect. He was not. Should have gone with your gut, Aaron. I mean, then my first you answer. Dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is all I have. I got I got a dumb question over on you. Let me have this. Yeah, sure. You can have it. 
Now it's Peter okay. Uh, and Peter, Tropic Thunder, the uh, the weird, less Grossman role that Tom Cruise ended up doing, was offered to Van Damme. Ooh. Sure. Also incorrect. Oh, he totally could have done that, like, sort of making fun of producers thing. That would have been that would have been pretty funny. Listen to Marcus Van Splain to Van you. Splain. He does. He is the expert here, Aaron. I just want to point that out. That's what all Van Splainers think. <laughs> to be honest, it was uh, this is the only kind of game idea I came up with. And it was very hard to find any movies that he had passed on uh, besides, like, Predator and stuff that everyone knows. Uh, but it was even harder to come up with movies that he did not pass on and was not offered, but may have. That's, yeah, that requires some out-of-the-box thinking, because it uh, has to be plausible. It has to be somewhat plausible. Uh, so the final question is going to go to Aaron. Great. So, Demolition Man was originally going to be Steven Seagal v. Jean-Claude Van Damme, with Jean-Claude Van Damme in the Simon Phoenix role. Uh, I don't care. Sure. <laughs> All right. And Aaron being done with this game gets the last question correct. And I believe wins the yeah, game. Yeah, I won. <laughs> hey, right. um, hey uh, Marcus, can you make one of my questions that I got right worth like 100 points so I can win? Oh, I, I forgot that you did get the, the double secret bonus question correct the, for the one question you did get correct, the first one. So, yeah, you actually did get. 100 points in that so yeah you, <laughs> yeah. you beat aaron by a, by a whopping 99 points <laughs> you don't know this peter but both of my questions i got right which was one more than yours were worth infinity points so, uh, like i can't even see you from how high my points stand. I, I guess aaron uh, wins great uh, do you guys want to talk more or start talking about hard target yeah let's talk about hard target hard target hard target Now that we're back from our musical break, uh, because I don't want to, uh, I don't know, destroy the little little ball of life that lives in Marcus, uh, I, I will stop the bit of just being mean to Marcus. Um, I don't believe for, you. As we talk about... Well, I'll try my best. It is it is pretty instinctual at this point. It has been about 10 months of it. Um, and uh, But I just feel bad. So one of our guests... Uh, when they were on, we were doing an aside about it, and afterwards she was like, "Do you really not like Marcus?" <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, hey, gang, let, let me give you a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, when I messaged Peter and told him, "Hey, I came up with a fun little game we could do on the show," uh, his next message to me was, "Aaron said, go fuck yourself.'" <laughs> <laughs> well, I did text that. Um, I think I said great, but also tell him to go fuck himself. You know, the oh, great. I but, feel like you kind of undermined the great. Marcus, I'm a method actor. I have to get into character. Uh, it's the same character I use that like puts up with Pete. That's like a zone I get into, uh, and that's that why I can be a chore. To be honest, I mean, so yeah, it's really hard to drop it. I'm, I'm basically like a Daniel Day Lewis of podcasters. Um, guys, I'm really nice. Says. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah, no, you're great. Was that acting? No, you're you're really you're you're fine. He's methoding me. He's methoding me. <laughs> there's a lot. There's methoding. There's gaslighting. A lot, uh, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of psychological torment. They call us Method Man and Red Man because you're method acting, and I'm I'm all red in the face. 
you're reading my moves left and right. You're a red man. <laughs> I just realized as I said it, that has other connotations that I'm not psyched about. Uh-uh. So, I don't know. Uh, so, anyways. Uh, but, Marcus, I do love you. Um, I will drop the bit for now. May come back at some point, in which case, I'm sorry, it's just instant. It's always if anything, it's, a, it's a way to save the show. If, if it starts petering out, just, yeah, t- toss something mean my way, I again, guess. Again, again. Oh, a lot of these shows peter again, out. Again. The, <laughs> He's the co-host. The knocking on me. Please, for once. Can it be this airing is, out? So, that's why, again... I said it was going to be our worst episode right at the top, so anyone who's bummed about this should really heed warnings. And But I think it's definitely going to be – we're usually very warm and welcoming. We like to have a lot of fun with the occasional exception of a Dustin Kosky. Um, <laughs> his brother's great. <laughs> Best. Yeah, so so Marcus, I will – I look, I love Hard Target when you started your John Pod Van Damme podcast, which I was very excited to be on one of the episodes – this was the first movie I requested because, as I mentioned to you, I hadn't seen that many, and I still haven't seen that many John Claude uh, Van Damme movies. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. First, Peter, I believe you are alternate tagline. Uh, alternate taglines. Uh, well, it's a 50-50 shot <laughs> each week. <laughs> uh, this time, Jean Claude Van Damme is Cajun. That's all I got. Uh, <laughs> you want to see a short guy kick real high? <laughs> the tagline for all. That's also the tagline for all John Claude Van Damme movies. Um, um, but he loves kicking. Look, I wish I loved something as much. And I have two kids as John Claude Van Damme loves kicking. Tell your boyfriend to go see Hard Target. <laughs> that actually would have been a good one. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of weird homophobic lines that Chance keeps dropping in this movie. You should go to the auto zone to get uh, cracking your windshield fixed. Eventually it will get much larger and you'll have to fix the whole windshield. That was very German. Yeah. yeah. He's very German. I must have Belgians are the most German French people of all time. <laughs> That's great. That's a good Venn diagram. I think I must have missed some of that because I had seen this movie before. And at some point, I did just kind of start tuning out everything Jean-Claude Van Damme was saying. Uh, and I think that helps enjoy – like, if you can do that, I think you'll enjoy this movie more because um, especially at this time, Jean-Claude Van Damme is like a terrible actor. And he's not even that interesting of a presence, I think, in this movie. I'm sorry, Marcus. I mean, you're not wrong. The the things that work with him in this movie are things that you can make fun of and laugh at. I mean, this movie rocks. I love this movie. I saw it for the first time a few years ago and instantly fell in love. But, like, it is very much – I love the John Woo-ness of it. And a lot of the overtop stuff. Like, this is what you want from, like, a crazy 90s action movie. Uh, so we'll talk about it more. But, um, but John Claude, like, I recently, I, I recently watched the, the first two Under Siege movies. I guess the only two Under Siege movies for the first time. And, like, those are, those are fun movies, too. But Steven Seagal works within the framework of that of those movies more than I think John Claude Van Damme works within the framework of this movie. Like, he's fine. But you could swap him out for Arnold or Stallone or or just any other or even a lesser uh, 80s or 90s action star, muscle action star. And I think you'd have a similar movie because the most enjoyable parts of the movie are everything else that's going on and the way John Woo uses, uh, uses him. But uh, we'll talk about that more in just a second first. 
Quick recap. Uh, action movies are super quick to recap. So essentially, there's this ring of uh, henchmen led by Lance Hendrickson, uh, who who uh, basically organize rich people hunts of of the homeless in the city of New Orleans. And uh, <laughs> he's trying an accent. This is fun. Let's go to New Orleans and get a pizza pie. <laughs> um, uh, we're basically using the homeless in the city. They they do this uh, process because people are looking for work, and they're like, "Hey, do you have any family? Great, we'll give you ten thousand dollars. Try to these military vets to run to the river while we try to hunt you. Hey, it's ten thousand bucks. Why not? You got nothing to lose." So they do it to someone who actually did have a family, a daughter who comes looking for him. Uh, and ends up teaming up with Van Dam, who saves him from getting uh, uh, her from getting assaulted because the police are on strike, which is a big part of this movie. Um, there's one cop that's on duty. <laughs> yeah, there's one cop who's, uh, I guess, a uh, union line crosser, but she's seems very nice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so she kind of helps them figure out what's happened and what what they end up finally getting led to is this again this ring of rich Europeans who are organizing these hunts uh, and they decide to do one last hunt to stop uh, Van Damme before they move on to I think they're planning to move on to Yugoslavia uh, Van Damme uh, after a lot of action sequences involving kicks and explosions and jumps um, they he goes we're gonna go hang out with my uncle he's and then they'll be able to stop him uh, his uncle is Wilford Brimley doing the worst accent of all time and that includes uh accents that we've done on this show and uh accents that children have done trying to mimic um their favorite i don't know monty python characters uh and they have their last stand in about a 30 minute action sequence in a warehouse while they kill everyone uh if you've met someone in the movie they're dying in the warehouse (laughs) or they're wilford brindley john claude van damme or Yancey Butler. Yeah. They kill them all and they kiss and that's the end. Hey, hey, Van Damme movie reference. So I saw this for the first time a couple years ago. I think one of the hardest parts with Van Damme movies in general, and this goes with like Steven Seagal movies and any of these kind of B or C level 80s and 90s action stars is that their movies are, and this is not a unique observation, but their movies are all named fucking the exact same thing. So like it's out for justice, above the law, hard target, like... It's it's sometimes very hard to tell. Um, what was the one that we did? The hockey rink one. Sudden, sudden death. impact. Sudden death. Sudden death. death. Sudden death. Yeah. Um, like they all they are interchangeable uh, action movie titles, and and sometimes when you kind of look at that grouping, uh, especially if you're not kind of plugged into it, it, can be hard to know. Like, hey, which one of these actually stand out as something unique and. Uh, hard target I start hearing about because it you know obviously it was a John Woo movie people are like yeah it's it's not face off or it's not his you know it kind of is though even like a lot of the same uh, shots are used well yeah no he this is the doves are integral to this, to this. <laughs> well even just like they have that exact movie. standoff scene that like John Travolta and Nicolas Cage have a Van Damme and Arnold Boslow have as well oh yeah like, when they're, they're back to back up against the wall yeah you're yeah. no you're right yeah um but I guess it doesn't lo- rise to that quite level, but it it is definitely showing the seeds of his eventual face-off movie before he disappeared again. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it's really great. It's really fun, but it definitely wasn't something. It was just like, oh, I if I'm perusing the video store, Hard Target and Sudden Death and all the other ones just seem the same to me. 
Uh, and it wasn't until, again, I kind of got into John Woo or realized that he had directed it, I guess, um, that I finally got around to watching. And I've talked before about, like, this was the first, like, John claude Van Damme movie I watched that was, like, a John claude Van Damme movie. It wasn't the first actual movie starring him I had seen. But um, the other two were, like, Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. Which, even though he's in it, like, I watched it because I wanted to see Street Fighter characters as a kid. And then uh, Time Cop, which was, I like sci-fi, so I want to see time travel movies. So this really was the first one that I ever watched that was, like, a true, like, this is John claude Van Damme, and he's in just an action star, and he's killing bad guys, and he has a girl, and blah, blah, blah. And the only one I've seen since then is, um, is a, a Sun Death for Marcus's show. So... Um, my, my John claude Van Damme level is really low. I mentioned on your podcast when I guessed it that I had never seen a Steven Seagal movie except Machete, which he's in for a little bit. And it's not – it was three months ago or two months ago I watched the first two Under Siege and those are the three Seagal movies. So this this whole kind of genre of, of better than canon level cheapo action movies but like still mid-budget like will turn a profit um, – it's still something I haven't explored all that much. But that being said, I loved those Under Siege movies, and this rocks. So maybe it's something I should dig a little deeper in. Or maybe I'm watching the best examples from those particular two uh, actors. Well, Aaron, uh, since you did appear on my podcast, uh, you have had an open invitation. Uh, I've asked you several times if you wanted to come back. Uh, yeah, not, didn't seem too keen on it. <laughs> like I understand you're turning the tables but for the record you've never asked me back I gave you an open invitation and I think the last time we recorded something after that like where I was on an episode with you guys I was like yeah come back on the show and like you, you know where I am you know where to find me open invitation okay well you know I I prefer a, a, a like a letter like, a, like if you're getting married right you don't just say open invitation you want to feel like you're wanted all right, at the ceremony of two people uh, joining together for life, and that's essentially what you and John Claude Van Damme are doing, podcast wise. So, I, you know, I just like a little more pomp and circumstances. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I, I will, I'll be more specific with it, but I do remember mentioning it the last time we all recorded something together. It was like, hey, Pete's been on twice. Yeah. Aaron's only been on once, but uh, yeah, it was fun. Do you have any more stuff to do? With him? No, I haven't done all of them. There's still oh. uh, probably at least like 15 or so I haven't done. Maybe more. I didn't see Universal Soldier. Did you already do that one? Uh, actually, do I haven't done uh, the fourth slash sixth Universal Soldier movie, uh, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. So if you want to watch Universal... Is he, is he in Oh, those? yeah, yeah. He's a, those, uh, there were two newer ones that came out within the last decade that had him and Dolph Lundgren and stuff like that and that are very very good and are actually directed by the son of the guy that directed like Sudden Death. The last two recent ones are two of my favorite movies and I think while we're talking about this uh, the last two Universal Soldier movies are movies that you can just jump into even if you haven't seen any of the other Universal Soldier movies and I'm not really fond of any of the other ones the first one is uh, an okay little action movie from the 90s I think it shows off Van Damme playing a different kind of character than you normally play but the last few universal soldier movies are truly unique and they're stylish and they're fun and they're weird and they have vicious combat like i recommend those movies to anybody that like that had even if you don't know if you like van damme i think that's a really nice entry place and that was my 
also also hard target is a really good yeah absolutely Um, entry point peter if i want to jump to those last two universal movies but don't want to watch any of the other ones or the original do you think if i play the uh the video game for game boy do you think i'll understand what's going on i think you can understand what's going on what if I play for Super Game Boy? So I get a little color. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, the color might be more confusing for you because you'll be like, why isn't everything a weird green brown color? <laughs> no, it, no, that does get me. That's why my friends call me uh, Tommy Two-Tone because I like to see things in just two tones of color, ideally. Mm-hmm. It's depressing. It sounds very depressing. <laughs> um, yeah, I wear special glasses. Anyways, what, what do you guys think of Hard Target? I think that uh, Hard Target is an excellent place to start uh, for your Van Damme journey. Um, I... Got into the movie about five, six years ago when I was trying to figure out, like, what the hell the Van Damme thing was about. Because I'd only seen the worst movies. The Street Fighters and some of the trash in between. And then I, I weirdly enough, saw JCVD, his, like, metatextual, self-reflective sort of death of an action star movie before I saw a lot of his classics. Before I saw Time Cop, before I saw this, before I saw even his Universal Soldiers, like his, his impressive late era work. Van Damme really unlocks when you start with the, these early movies. Um, and this movie is a great, a great place to start because like you get to see him both showing off his physical acumen and all that. And like kind of you get a little bit used to him, you know, throwing out jokes and stuff. But it's not like the deep end, like Time Cop and uh, is it Double Impact? What's the movie with um, Rodman? Dennis Rodman. Yeah, I think it's Double Impact. Double Team. Double team. But there is also a double impact. Oh, you got Vance <laughs> Blaine again. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like before you get into all the quippy, goofy Van Damme, this is a great movie to start with. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. And the, the level of craft in it is far above a direct-to-video movie or, you know, what you, you'd see a lot of Van Damme in, in the coming decade and a half. Well, and part of that is, from my understanding, and Marcus, you can correct me if I'm I wrong. I will. I will. Um, <laughs> here's what i've learned if you start out a podcast jokingly being mean to someone for 20 minutes it affects the rest of the podcast <laughs> um like it's a bad switch to just turn off yeah Aaron. it's very hard to rec- recover look i've learned a lesson and i think i think i'm gonna grow as a person from this experience a little bit i don't know if you and, are uh, well I, I think i'm gonna say people. that i'm going from this experience right now and not do it yeah this yeah, is yeah, uh, with other and, people and that, well with me this is gonna be par for the course <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, this, as thus ends our one-act play that we're giving at Junior Highs about the dangers of jokingly being mean to someone that sometimes feelings don't get jokes. <laughs> you've, all, you've all learned uh, a valuable lesson and scene. Um, uh, but I... I believe part of that reason was because Jean-Claude Van Damme was, um, and I read a little bit about this movie, I mean, he was very much, he saw these things as like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies to the point that he, at one point he made his own cut of Hard Target that was like more close-ups of him because he said, who wants to see Lance Hendrickson? They want to see me. I'm the star. And But on this movie, especially even though it was his first, uh, John was his first American movie, uh, and apparently the first major studio uh, movie directed by someone from China. Mm-hmm. So in America, yeah, just Asian in general, actually. Nineteen ninety-two guys, but but apparently, like 
everyone kind of had John Woo's back and said, this is John Woo's set. So he didn't get to kind of exert his like most when he was at his worst, from what I understand personally, from like a ego and cocaine fueled uh, power trip. So I think maybe even some of his worst tendencies that were not about making a good movie, but making sure he was amazing in all of his movies or from his perception of it, like helped a the fact that it was John Woo and he had a lot of control uh, helped this one really um, rise above, even though due to the MPAA stuff, like we lost, I guess, what, 20 minutes of a fucking awesome gross shit. It might be, it might be as much as times, I think it might be as much as 50 minutes. So it went, the cut that was screened for people was over two hours, which uh, look at face off. It's a 95 minute movie. Yeah. Because uh, that movie is two and a half hours. It's way too fucking long, but it's jam packed with with wooism, and that was that was him finally getting to like really lean into it as a an a touristic director. But this was re- this was sent to the MPAA six times with six different cuts before it secured an R rating, which is like. That's a lot for this kind of movie. Like, usually it's like Scorsese going back and forth or like, you know, a famous horror director, somebody who's trying to be provocative. It's usually not like uh, first time making a movie in America, director who's just trying to make to the studio is just trying to make a fast, quick mean movie all of a sudden they're it's taking weeks to go back and forth with the studio and van damme is trying to get his own cut in there like the 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 post-production on this sounded kind of nuts well and also a little bit the pre-production so and like making it so i I, something i found fascinating that i didn't know the first time i watched this is that as yeah this was the first like uh, director from asia who was directing a major hollywood movie and uh, the studio did not have confidence in John Woo. So they hired another director uh, to kind of be there as part of the entire production. And if at any point he um, thought that John Woo wasn't doing a good job, would tell the studio and he would be the director. So he'd be involved in every step of the way. Uh, that director was Sam Raimi. That's why Ted Raimi yeah. has a cameo in the movie. Yeah. That's why Ted Raimi has a cameo. <laughs> uh, awesomely, though, Sam Raimi agreed to do it because he fucking loved John Woo <laughs> and said, uh, if John Woo uh, takes – by learning you know, uh, learning a different language and going to a different studio and a different country, if he makes 70% uh, of a John Woo movie in America, it will be 100% better than most action movies I've ever seen. So he basically accepted it to – Never do that to John, to let John Woo do his thing and basically have his back so that uh, while telling the studio, oh, yeah, no, I'm keeping a close eye. Uh, so that is fucking awesome. And I already liked Sam Raimi, but that's a great way to kind of circumvent that uh, kind of thing because he was like, sure, I'll do it. Like, it's like it's like uh, giving another kid a chance to be a babysitter of a, one kid. Like, make sure this kid doesn't eat the candy. Oh, OK, <laughs> sure. I mean, we're both going to eat the candy. Like, I am. <laughs> and it's so great because, like, there are this could have been something that if Sam Raimi wanted to, he could have, like, you know, swept in and taken over and probably made, you know, some yeah. money. But instead, he was like, no. I, I was brought in to be a studio hack, and guess what? I'm not, I'm not fucking... Yeah, but I'm actually just a secret fan who wants to see a John Woo movie, so I'm going to help make sure it gets yeah. made so I can So, if anything, it. yeah, he helped it to actually happen, and that's why both uh, Sam Raimi and his uh, producing partner, uh, 
Rob Talbert both have executive producer credits on this. Um, so, Marcus, we didn't get into, though, uh, what what is your overall opinion of this movie? And like? JCVD. <laughs> well, uh, overall, like I said, I do love this movie. Uh, it's silly and weird in a lot of ways. It does have a lot of fun over-the-top performances, especially like Lance Henderson and Arnold Vosloo, who we haven't even mentioned yet. Uh, I love him in this movie. I think his whole purpose in life is just kind of to give everyone a heads up of what Billy Zane would look like today. That's kind of his role <laughs> in life. He he is such a, like this movie cast two of the best like made bad guy henchmen of like the 90s like they just exude menace and evil oh yeah absolutely uh but yeah no and i, I like van damme a lot in this uh, a lot of the choices and everything are very weird uh, obviously the hair is odd uh just he he <laughs> Maybe other action stars could have pulled off certain things, but there's obviously lost in translation things, uh, John Woo's style of filmmaking versus Van Damme's kind of American action star hero don't quite mesh well, and obviously he had the ego problems. Um, I think the biggest fault of Van Damme in this movie is that he doesn't do gun foo very well. Like, the kicks and stuff are all great, no. but when it comes to actual, like, gunfighting and gunplay, he can do it in, like, a universal soldier where he's, like, you know, having, you know, automatic weapons, being a soldier kind of thing but where he's just kind of being the cool action star and like you know double gunning it and stuff like that he's not great at that and he can't do the chow yun fat thing where it he's so cool because it chow yun fat basically the the guns are like almost toys to him in some of those movies where he's just like yeah he, he's just so he doesn't care about the guns he's just like i i, I it, it's like this emotional extension of himself he's like fuck you fuck you and then when the guns are empty he just throws them up van damme is very is a much more um and it's sort of like traditional macho western intense kind of guy which is just i think inherently a little bit less fun to watch in that john woo mold even though i well, love I mean, van damme well i mean i mean john woo is clearly trying to make like a samurai western like lone like your jimbo type like to the point that they have a lot of like uh at one of the cleverest shots of this movie is him Walking into walking off into the sunset after saving uh, Yancey Butler at the opening scene, uh, but the sunset is actually just the sun reflected in a car window. Um, it's a great show. Oh yeah, uh, and it's and it's clearly what he's trying to do. But Jean Claude Van Damme is he's good at playing like quiet action person, but he's not great at playing like stoic cowboy like. You know, he is not – he is not the – when he when – because he, he, he just gives way too much I'm trying to be cool and stoic vibe from all of his lines. And it – he's not good at underplaying dialogue, right? Like he – Arnold Schwarzenegger is not good at underplaying dialogue either. It's why they made him yell in all of his movies. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme is better when he has a little bit more energy to what he's saying from an acting perspective, at least from the movies I've seen. And he's really trying to be cool cowboy in this. And it, it, it hurts a little because it seems very affected. I was going to say the only other kind of movie he really did something like that in would be uh, this movie Desert Heat. It's the last movie uh, John G. Alvinson directed, and it very much suffers from the same problem. He's supposed to be kind of the stoic, uh, almost like samurai cowboy kind of character, and but he's still also like kind of trying to do some one-liners, kind of trying to be a bit smarmy and stuff, and it just doesn't mesh well with his personality, his actual personality. Uh, I think he does work better, Aaron, you're saying, like in a more like charismatic role? 
I think just having a, I mean, sudden, uh, sudden death was a good example, or even I'm, you know, Time Cop or some of the, or uh, Street Fighter, where it's not that he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like everything is chaos and I'm constantly having an anxiety attack, but he does have a little more like energy, like um, to his delivery, and he's like he's clearly trying to be cool samurai, cool samurai cool cowboy like where nothing really affects him and it just doesn't work like he's underplaying too much i both agree with that and i think that later in his career as i think you'll see in the universal soldier movies he actually got very good at that uh in a way actually, he would knock this movie out of the park now oh my god yeah and he's he was he became a much better dramatic actor as his career went on and he is like a stoic killing machine in the uh in universal soldier regeneration and in a way that i'm like is this a different actor like what have you been doing and i don't think he was taking acting classes marcus marcus why did he get become such a better actor was it just age and well, I think it was age. It was going through a lot. It was also taking more risks and not just making a bunch of time cops and hard targets and stuff like that. Having or not having to, but getting the chance, like kind of being in DVD limbo and just like taking weirder roles, weirder movies, challenging himself more. He definitely has never taken an acting class, I don't think. Well, and I think some of that is it's, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, too, right? Because I think Arnold Schwarzenegger got better as he went along, too. And in some ways, they both got better as they became less of a star. And it just it makes sense from a logical perspective because when all they had to do was have their name in the credits and it would make a certain amount of money you don't have to examine your craft all that much right and Van Damme and Seagal and these people were like known for these like inflated egos where they would essentially not listen to people so how can you take direction so you're not examining yourself and you're not taking direction so you're going to say however you think uh, the best way to say it is you're not always the best judge of your own work. and But as, you know, you your movies don't do as well, you're having harder time getting work, you probably reach a point. You either reach a point where you just stop being in movies because you refuse to adapt, which is probably the Seagal uh, route. No, he's still in so uh, many he, movies. He, I think he was probably in like well, eight movies last year, but they're all made in like Eastern Europe on very low budgets and yeah. they're the same movie. But again, probably the same type of people that don't like whatever we have Seagal, that's a name. We're not, you know, we're not trying to, he's not trying to like do anything bigger mm-hmm. than that. But like I think Schwarzenegger and I think um, Van Damme, even though I haven't seen a lot of his later movies, from my understanding is that, you know, he did try to like, okay, well, what, what do I need to do to get back into where I'm not doing Legionnaire and Desert Heat type straight to video stuff and people have completely forgotten about me. And so you probably have a little more examination of, of how you're saying things and you're probably more willing to take direction when you're not, you know, one of the biggest stars in the world. Oh, yeah. Much more willing to collaborate instead of just like, no, this is a Van Damme movie, which is kind of what he did here while he tried to get his own cut. Because, you know, obviously John Woo was making a John Woo movie. He was making a Van Damme movie, just wanted to work with John Woo. But, yeah, and there was a lot of stress over that as well, just because, like you said, the production company and the people putting up the money didn't have faith in it, needed it to be done in a certain amount of time where John Woo could, like, usually take, you know, seven months to make a movie overseas. But then like had to do this and you know two months (laughs) yeah and this really let's talk a little bit about john woo because this is the first john woo movie we've done he is has such a recognizable style and his good movies are so good 
Uh, I wish I wish he kind of got a second life. Oh, it feels like after paycheck he just kind of and Mission Impossible Two he just kind of he got a third uh, life in China. Yeah, so I say he just went back to making movies there. Yeah, he went back and made yeah. made these historical epics and stuff in China that people are, are really fond of. It's just he didn't get to keep making stuff here. Well, and those movies aren't really. I mean, I guess I have I haven't really heard of them too much, and that they probably haven't even come over as like, hey, you know, like when Paul Verhoeven went back after Hollow Man. And like, like I knew about Black Book and Ellie. Um, it it feels like that stuff just isn't really even brought up over here. But I might not be looking the right place. And, and also, Post Crouching Tiger. He's making a lot of wuxia movies in Post Crouching Tiger. The that bubble sort of bursting. I think people um, don't pay attention to those as much. Though Red Cliff did get a release yeah. here and got a lot of notice. Yeah, this movie, though, is, is full. Like, if this is your first John Woo, which I imagine for most American audiences, it was like this. This is like, here's some Wooisms and you're going to get very comfortable with these for over the next 10 years while I kind of um, make some amazing action movies like like this movie. It starts like what's is there such a thing as like premature ejaculation but for slow motion <laughs> because this movie the first fight is just like how much slow motion can i possibly use and not even like during the fight just like him like getting up <laughs> leaving the restaurant and he's like emphasizing moments that no one else is emphasizing and i think that's what separates him from the detract or the his imitators uh, is because the imitators are just like throwing in slow mo left right left right for every like cool moment. He also uses slow mo for a moment so you can appreciate um, the beauty or the horror of a moment in a way that like yeah the guys that would would just be like oh it's so cool when he uses the slow mo here they would just be like slow mo of guys spinning and shooting guns with woo he's like more interested in sort of like the emotional connection to the violence so yeah he totally goes all in on the slow mo in this marcus you're probably the best person to answer this question was there a lot of slow mo in action movies pre woo Yes, um, they did usually lean towards martial arts movies, but they're they're usually not in this way. If there was slow mo, it's usually kind of like towards the end of the movie, kind of the final confrontation. There might be like a slow mo yeah. shot, like right before the villain gets killed, or right you know before the movie kind of ends. Uh, but yeah, in martial arts movies, that did tend to tend to happen more, just because you're trying to highlight martial arts moves going on so you do the slow-mo to slow it down yeah exactly they famously for wesley snipes they famously had to slow down a ton of his fights uh early in his career because he was too fucking fast same thing obviously with bruce lee just like they had to Mm -hmm. slow it down not even like slow-mo but like micro slow-mo where there's like literally the camera does not read this if we don't uh you know get some more reels in there get some more frames in there yeah but certainly not to this degree yeah, it's just so hard to gauge because, like, now watching it, you know, the slow motion thing got used so much that it, like, it. even watching Hard Target now, you're like, this slow motion almost feels like parody or, like, beyond parody because it got copied so much and then used in actual parodies. And now going back to some, some you know, trademark style that felt original feels, like, a little bit hacky. But, you know, I'm trying to think back of, like... You know, general mainstream action movies from the 80s um, and even 70s. And, like, I can't remember 
the level of slow motion in those movies that like started to take over in the mid 90s. Well, here's the thing with those. It was always to highlight like a punch or a kick or a death usually and was used sparingly. But just like here where like there's slow-mo of Van Damme like half turning his cheek to look back as she's about to get mugged. Like not a smaller emotional moments like that it was literally just to highlight action in some sort of way obviously the wachowskis starship wachowski was the biggest uh imitator of uh of john woo that got popular success uh obviously the wachowskis and woo really um helped blow it up as a sort of convention to the point where once they started making parodies of the matrix, it started working backwards and starting to make slow-mo and stuff look kind of funny in the movies that inspired the matrix, which is kind of unfortunate. Well, that's kind of why action changed around that point going into the two thousands, especially like direct to video action and stuff. There started being a lot less of the slow-mo or like bullet time kind of stuff. And it started being about very fast, fastly edited shaky cam in your face style action, as opposed to slow-mo, you know, from a distance highlighting moves and things like that. It became very in your face and, and frantically cut and edited. And then after that, we got into what I consider very good, uh, phase of action with the raid and the John Wick movies in particular and uh, in the last two Universal Soldier movies long takes where you can really appreciate the movement because of good framing and never cutting away uh, and choreography like a focus choreography. on the choreography yes like the kind of choreography where after Universal Soldier regeneration I was like is Van Damme okay? Did he just like sit in like a warm bath for three weeks? Like, <laughs> I bet you that's got to be fucking hard to do. Um, but the, yeah, we're now in a pretty nice, we're actually in a pretty nice era of action movies where it's just like incredibly yeah. tight, incredibly tense, where it's just like movies like Atomic Blonde. Yeah, no, the action movies that are coming out right now are amazing. And uh, it is weird though, The Matrix really. I really like the first Matrix, but it's the only movie I can think of off the top of my head that, like, the parodies became so loud that it almost, it, for, like, a little bit, it ruined the Matrix for me. <laughs> like, I'm like, I can't even watch the thing that I used to love because this has been amplified so much. And then, like, eventually I came back around to, oh, yeah, no, the Matrix rules. But it really kind of... Just because it was such a cultural touchstone for, like, at the time, the pinnacle of action movies, it really had almost like a downstream effect on stuff that had come before. So that now when you see Jean-Claude Van Damme do a little slow motion move, you're like, okay, you know, we get it. He's kicking. (laughs) I mean, I suppose you could say that about any of his movies. Like, okay, we get it. Kicking. Got got it. Seen it. So let's talk about some of those. I mean, this has moments that if you had like a dictionary definition of like so fucking stupid but also super awesome <laughs> um there's a couple moments there's the the breaking the motorcyclist knack with the roundhouse kick uh like that where he just kind of gets behind the car when they're shooting and then like dives out to break a man's neck riding on a motorcycle path. a man wearing That's a great. helmet wearing a helmet he kicked right through that helmet <laughs> and then uh, so i wrote in my notes that this is the definition of like something that's very fun to watch and also the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life at the same time. Uh, 
but then I had to issue a correction to myself that like actually maybe it's that gasoline kick. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that gasoline kick though. I do too. I absolutely love it. Like this is it's not as a criticism, but his plan of just like riding the car and then like dodging bullets like they have and then like okay then I'm going to kick the gasoline. It's it's great. Like this there's, oh, actually, now I'm conflating two moments because so I'm 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 conflating the use the 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 motorcycle as a as a bomb. Oh, and use the kick the, the gas the gasoline. Can. Yeah, yeah, but the gasoline can is awesome. But it's um, also just the yeah, ease with which anything blows up in this movie is great, but kind of stupid. Uh, all, all of that kind of thing because there are so many moments like that. They're just ridiculous. The snake, the fucking snake. Okay, yeah, the snake. So, yeah, it's a snake. I wrote down the the order of events because it's important. <laughs> so Chance is being pursued um, through the through the yeah. woods. The snake double take is followed by a snake punch, and then the tail being chewed off, and then it's turned into a trap. Like that whole sequence belongs in like some sort of Hall of Fame. I don't know which one. Maybe all. Well, of then them? even after it's used um, as a trap, then Lance Henderson uses his big boy gun to blow the snake's head off. Yes, that's like a rough three minutes. Yes, yeah. the roughest three minutes the snake has gone. And it looks, it looks like a tentacle from a graboid from Tremors. Like that's I, the kind of the size of this thing. <laughs> it has to be fat enough for like the threat to register, right? So then, um, and when this is happening, you're just like, no, well, no, he's just going to stop the snake from biting his girlfriend. Then he tears the snake's fucking rattler off, and it's like, well, the snake is dead now. And then the movie's like, no, 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 no. The rattler was just the loud part of the snake. The rest of the snake is good. And then he like sets up like a tripwire to wake up the snake as if the snake can only hear through the rattler. Like it makes no fucking sense. But as you're watching it, you're following every step because it's John Woo. Like John Woo doesn't care if that's not how snakes work. He's just like, but yeah, that's just how the bit works. John Woo doesn't care how snakes work. John Woo does not give a shit about how snakes work. He just gives a shit that you understand every step of this bit. And in that way, it's sort of like it's sort of like a, a beautiful canon movie moment where it's but just dropped in the middle of something that's a different kind of ridiculous. Like it's more melodrama yeah. ridiculous and American tough guy ridiculous for most of it. And then all of a sudden we get a canon movie moment. Yeah, it's worth noting that this movie adjusted for inflation made $170 million. So, uh, it is insane to see, you're right, like a canon movie, like, I don't know, maybe he just punches a snake and then, you know, uh, but then John, he can punch it out, but when he wakes up, you're going to hear that rattle. Oh, I guess. <laughs> we'll have him bite it off. <laughs> we'll have him bite it off. He's like, Cajun, he knows how to do that. <laughs> Why is he using a snake as a trap in the first place? And why do they kind of figure out it's a trap? Like, it's just a snake. And also the time it <laughs> would have like, taken to set that up. Like, they don't have that kind of time yeah. to waste in this chase. Get, get a little further. But um, even even the stupid awesome moments, like, they're done with such a level, level of craftsmanship. Like, everyone running away from, again, a slow motion shot of, like, the... The cottage blowing up, the Wilford Brimley's house, is amazing. Like, it looks gorgeous. And Wilford Brimley on a horse riding away from an explosion. And I'm pretty Holding sure that's up actually Wilford arrow. Brimley. It's so yes. good. 
It's Wilford Brimley's best performance. His accent is flawless. I don't want to hear anything else about the, the about the accent. It's a great accent. It, it's honestly, I think everyone in New Orleans should change their accent to match Wilford Brimley. No, well, Pete, obviously, obviously, you haven't been to New Orleans. You haven't seen the Cajun folks because. He is spot on. That is how it is. This there. is why we needed Brand. This is why we needed Brandon to be like, no, I. That's how my uncle talks. <laughs> hey, half my family is from Louisiana. So give us your. So okay, I'm sorry for bringing up another guest, Marcus. Um, no, I. I, tell I, me. I wish Brandon was here. I really do because I think he would have kept us from going out of control on this stupid bit. <laughs> I think he would have been like, come on, guys, can we just talk about the movie? Like, what's going on? Marcus, you gotta let go. We've been talking about the movie for quite a long time. You're the one that's returning to the pit. Hey, so Marcus, do you want to do your uh, New Orleans uh, impression? Uh, to be honest, I really don't have a good one. Uh, but half of my family is from New Iberia, Louisiana, and they are very much that kind of like Cajun-y uh, talking and stuff like that. I'm making a sandwich. I can't even do it. Peter, I'm making a sandwich. I don't even know if I can. I need to warm up. Gumbo. Gumbo. <laughs> Gumbo. Think about like here. Let me help you get it. Let me help you Gumbo. get the character. You've seen a Gumbo. <laughs> hey, you gotta get the moonshine out of the tank or else it's gonna blow. Canadian you can't Canadian do Cajun. Like a Fargo. Yeah, Fargo accent. Yeah, it's not going great. See how hard it is? Wilford Brimley did a great job. I think I just need to do a French accent, but make it more drawly. Do like a Wilford Brimley accent from this movie. <laughs> Jonas, I saved your favorite gun. Like, it's getting better. It is. Uh, I didn't know where this bit was going, but apparently this is how you improve is to try and try again. <laughs> um, so it's another lesson learned about my oh, life. Oh, mon cher. <laughs> now you're doing mm, the mon cher. <laughs> B. Ah. Uh. Uh, okay um all right uh what were you gonna say that wasn't the best thing in this movie is in my in my reckoning is lance henriksen i've been a fan of lance henriksen for for forever i probably first movie i saw him in was probably Pumpkinhead. i haven't even seen that that's on my super fun he is a voice like a uh monster truck driving over gravel he's built like you took uh, a big bag of skin like a loose bag of skin <laughs> and then you just put a bunch of snakes in there and then you just sucked all the air out of the bag and um, then you, you hit the 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 skin bag of snakes with a stick for about 20 minutes and then you have action <laughs> yes and then gave that bag of, bag of snakes a sunburn he is he is demonic in this it's maybe in this this type of action movie the lethal weapons, the diehards, and then all of these sort of um, lower budget imitators in in that whole realm. This is probably my favorite villain performance of that. Like, I can't think of anything like even like Hans Gruber. Like, I can't think of anything that I have. I'm as sucked in to every moment, every weird line reading he has because he is just He's a demon. He's he's so in all of his weird mannerisms, his weird gun. Yeah, we kind of talked. We we talk a lot about how much we don't care for subtlety and I humanizing monsters in these eighties and nineties action movies, like with a plan of some sort, like or you like, and that's not, maybe that's not even humanizing, but like the idea of like having a goal is usually like that's part of the you know bread and butter of a of a bad guy in a movie. Like he wants power. 
or money. And like, I guess he wants money, but he's living in a pretty nice house. He's got a great piano that he can anger play oh, um, whenever so he wants well. to. And just him staring at himself in the mirror with that evil stare while it, doing it. That is the most John Wooey scene in the movie, too. There is Which he no made compunction. Like, yes. He, he doesn't think he's a revolutionary. He doesn't think he's anything but um, an angry man who likes killing people and likes to be a dickhead. Like, he is a bad guy, but he is comfortable in his bad guyness. And that's something you don't see that often in movies. You don't just see, like, yeah, no, I'm a villain. I'm a bad guy. I like killing people and then taking their money. And that is what I enjoy. And But his decline into madness as he finally hits a roadblock in his life, hits someone that is telling him no or that he can't do whatever the fuck he wants. And Jean-Claude Van Damme, just him slowly losing his mind and trying, starting to throw temper tantrums like a toddler by the end of the movie, just because he's like, no, this isn't supposed to happen to me. I, I'm rich. I can do whatever I want. This guy is not letting me have what I want. And just throwing temper tantrums. And even that scene where Lance Hendrickson gets set on fire in this movie and once again, pretty sure that is actually Lance Hendrickson. And I, Van Damme has so many stunt doubles in this movie, but like Wilford Brimley and Lance Hendrickson seem like, yeah, yeah, I'll fucking do that. Why not? Yeah, Wilford Brimley was notoriously game for everything in this movie, and they were going to get put another guy on the horse for the, the riding away scene uh, from the explosion. And Wilford Brimley was like, Dudes, I grew up riding horses. I can fire a bow and arrow. Like, what part of this would you... What part of this could someone else do better? And everyone else, I think, was just thinking of, like, Cocoon Wilford Brimley. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm unkillable, so... Whoops! Like, I'm... I made a deal with the devil that I'm going to look 75 for my entire life. (laughs) But I'm an immortal. And speaking of the devil, Lance Henriksen, there's a scene where Marcus is referencing... That Blaine Tyrantson is standing in a, in a ring of fire and he's just throwing up his hands and just yelling, but not in like a platoon, oh no, I got defeated kind of way. What a tragedy. In a way, he was like, no fucking way am I getting stopped by this crunchy haired, poor, homeless goon. Like, he's so pissed that his. I mean, he's right, he's right about that. Yeah, he's right. Uh, his violent will was stopped that he. It's baffling to him that his plan to travel the world and murder people has been stopped by, you know, essentially one guy. Well, that's that's the thing. They could just leave. Like, they have – like, he's like, we can go hang out in Eastern Europe for a long time. Like, why are we even here? Like, really? We could be yes. in Mexico in an hour. And it, yeah, and there's and, just the helicopter scene where he says, don't kill him in the helicopter. And Arnold Vosloo is like, hey, uh, we've been having fun here, but um, I'm, I have to kill him from the helicopter. I, um, we, what, the, the, fuck the hunt. And then Lance Henriksen in a very telling moment for his character is like, do not kill him. Just put him where I want him for the hunt. Well, I think yeah, that's so partially this really that is just a- because you forget at that point, he already brought in the other guys and made them each pay uh, $750,000 to do this hunt. So I think he can't just be like, oh, yeah, just shoot him from the helicopter. We got to do a hunt on the ground. So these guys pay me my money. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I figured out who Lance Henriksen is. If Lance Henriksen were like a tech dude, he would be the Juicero guys who just kept pouring money into that fucking that fucking weird juicer thing. And they're just like at any time anybody was like, hey, this plan fucking sucks. He was like, more investors. (laughs) 
So also like movie pass, from what I understand. <laughs> They're just like, and guess what? Um, yeah, I'm changing Lance the rules. Henderson is the movie pass of Van Damme movies. <laughs> I love that, and also I love how hands-on Lance Henriksen is. Like, there's scenes where. You'd expect Arnold Vosloo to be doing all the killing, sort of, you know, the if we're talking about in uh, Lethal Weapon. Nobody remembers McAllister because McAllister just, like, calls the shots and he gets blown up by, you know, Murtaugh at the end. But, like, everyone remembers Gary Busey. It's usually that way. It's usually, like, you remember the henchman or the main villain is super compelling and you, the henchman is just, like, kind of a blonde dude. In this, the henchman is super interesting and Lance Henriksen is like, well, no, I'm into murder, too. I'm not, I'm not just going to let this guy have a good pair as well. They're like, very compa- they, they seem that, like they make sense. Oh yeah, they have that one scene where they're they're torturing uh the uh the the large gentleman that like uh finds their homeless people for them and you know so Arnold Vosloo's like cutting his ear off with a pair of scissors and then Lance Henderson is beating the shit out of him and then like wiping off his hand in his fishbowl. Like yes. they, just, they play so, so I think, well. I I think we can agree Van Damme was wrong. People do want to see Lance Henderson. Uh because it, he is the best part of this movie and speaks to the old adage that, like, in an action movie, comic book movie, like, you, uh, in most cases, you live and die by how interesting your villains are. And he's he's kind of magnetic in his evil to watch. And you're right. Like, his henchmen's great, too. Like, they're a great pair. They should have just – they should have had a CBS <laughs> series where they just, I don't know, killed people. Um, but they, they should have done more things because you don't get this many, um, you usually get like one really awesome guy. You're like, oh, that guy's in this. But like those two are perfect. Well, and that is initially what the movie more so was, especially script wise and stuff like that until it became a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. And then of course the focus kind of shifted towards him, but it was very much more so about those two characters initially like doing, running this thing. Yeah. Originally, John Woo wanted Kurt Russell in the role, and it was much less focused on the gun-fu. It was just kind of like a straight sort of action movie kind of thing. Uh, he couldn't get Kurt Russell. He would have had to wait two years to make the movie. He knew his window was, you know, 1993, so, or, you know, I guess production 1992. John Woo moved ahead. The studio recommended Van Damme. At first, he put up a stink. So, he's just like, he's not an actor. He's a he's a martial artist. Like, I don't want this guy. And then when he, after he met with Van Damme and had some meetings yeah. with him, they both really liked each other or liked, or liked the idea of each other. And he was like, oh, I can make this. He changed the script in a bunch of ways, but he was like, I can make this. Uh, Wu said, I can make this into um, a more of a martial arts movie, but martial arts gun fu kind of movie. He can do stuff that Kurt Russell can't do physically. And then Van Damme was like, this could be my chance to redeem myself with a solid dramatic role. And it really shows in the final product those two sort of um, blending spirits. But neither one quite got what they wanted. In a, yes, yes. And I'll tell you what, like, we, we, I talked about this at the beginning of the plot recap. Like, this is the setup for this movie is they're hunting people, but there's not that much of it because even the Van Damme stuff, it just turns into a kind of a standard, um, now we're going to go back to our home base and fight the bad guys. Like, I still think, and one of my biggest frustrations with this movie when I heard what it was about before I watched it, we talked about it on the Running Man episode. Like, I I still don't think that, like, movies have done a good enough version of, like, that kind of either a game show or a most dangerous game type situation in, like, 
an urban environment because it is like the setup for this movie about how you could essentially end up as like a a game spread out over the course of a major uh, metropolitan area is is clever like the police are on strike there's no one manning the street it's letting these people run wild um in the running man it was very clever because um you know it's just this hey we it's just a it's 40 square blocks like this is this you know the, now you get to go through the city and I like there were games as kids that like I played where like you especially in like Bismarck North Dakota which isn't the biggest city in the world but like I don't know if you guys ever played I can't even remember what it's called um, where like you get like a, a 20 minute head start to run from one side of town to the other and then people like go in cars and try to find you and stuff like that like that kind of idea of using this city that you know is like a giant weird playground is very appealing to me, I guess. I don't know if it's appealing to other people, but I feel like movies that have have that setup, like this and Running Man, I'm sure there's a couple other I'm, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, like they go away from that really quickly. Like Running Man just becomes Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger killing henchmen and saying lines, and some of that's fun. And this like immediately is like, well, Van Damme's not actually going to run through the city and fight them through this... Um, Metropolis. He's going to go to his cabin and retreat. Like these other scenes are like very quick. So I still think there is like a a movie to be made with that kind of urban setting for a you know dystopian death game show or or a most dangerous game type situation. Well, I guess what there's only two in this one, right? Like two people actually only get hunted in this movie, and there's one at the very beginning. It's very quick. Yeah, one in the middle, but I think. It's, they didn't use the urban setting as much, which was a disappointment in this movie. But surviving the game yeah. is very much like the majority of the movie is the hunt. It's just done like out in the woods and shit. Yeah, I just I you know one of the things that I think zombie movies when they got really good uh, before they kind of did too much of them. Like one of the appealing things about that is kind of like seeing the city through a different lens. Like a city is safety, a city is electricity, a city is all this stuff. And when you're kind of walking through these dead towns, it's why everyone loved the 28 days later thing of like, Oh, here's this city. That's now empty. What do you do in this area? Like it's, it's so weird and off putting. So I think like zombie movies and a lot of horror movies have used cities that way, but like the kind of action uh, dystopian game show have yet to they, a lot of them have had that concept and then they feel like they go away from that concept really quickly and this is one partially because of, of budget like, budget but like also like well, I mean this was 20 like, million dollars you know, that's a pretty decent budget yeah and the running man was a Schwarzenegger vehicle that like had a lot of cool sets it just it feels like no one's actually implemented the idea very well like they start with that and then they're like and then let's do this and maybe it's because of the action stars they had that wanted to were more interested in other things but Again, I still feel like that's a, a good idea that hasn't been done right yet. The final cut that we ended up with, an hour and 36 minutes, has a tremendous sense of momentum. You get how they get to the bayou. It doesn't feel like in some movies where they're like, oh, ran out of money, we're in the woods now. Really strings together the investigation in the early part of the movie and the moment when they're like, oh shit, we need to get out of town is essentially one long action sequence to get to the train. Yeah. And it's great. Like, I don't want to say that it's not great. 
It is. It's done really well. It's just the promise of what this movie seemed to be about and what it ends up being about is a little disappointing, but it does really well with what it ultimately ends up. And it has two great sequences in the middle. The beginning of the movie, it doesn't feel like uh, the first kill, which uh, that actor, uh, the homeless man being killed at the beginning of the movie, the father of our lead uh, actress, uh, is the (laughs) scriptwriter of the movie. Um, because in X Navy Seal, he wrote the script for this Navy Seals, um, and some other movies. Oh, really? Stretch it out of his comfort zone for that one. <laughs> he did Dark Man, I think, for Sam Raimi. Yes, he did Dark Man, and he did a movie we did for the show. If you give me a second, I can get it. It's Red a movie Planet. Yes, he did Red Planet uh, and Virus. So this guy has done some very bad movies. A very had. mixed. Yes, yeah, I did he, Virus on my show. <laughs> Oh, virus is the worst. I saw that in theaters. Um, but he did, yeah, he did a mixed bag. Thing. Wait, hold on. Do you do you like it, Mark? Oh no, 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 no. Uh, we did that forever ago on an episode of Crest Celluloid, and we were still doing that. And yeah, no, that is a garbage movie. And, and he also he also did Barbed Wire and The Jackal, which are both like fun, and I'm happy they exist. But he did he he um he gets murdered at the beginning of the movie, and he apparently did a lot of like the weapons training with people, and that's why this is a John Woo movie where people fire their nine bullets and then they reload as opposed to a normal John Woo movie where I don't know how how on that count is but yeah they're they do they do try they're like oh yeah we know clips exist but I don't think if you actually counted those bullets it'd be it'd be too too on and it, but it is a movie where they fired 25,000 rounds apparently during production which means that there's so much shooting going on that like you'd have to be an insane person or a robot to actually sit and count it all. But in the traditional John Woo mold, they don't reload until they're like in an elevator or something like they reload. They reload to give the actors something to do with their hands during a conversation as opposed to reloading because of plausibility. But it's after um, like 50 shots. Yeah. Yes. That's when you kick the gas. Which, yes. which, again, there are scenes in this movie towards the end. Or shoot a dove or something. <laughs> Remember when he used the dove as a distraction? Like, they, this movie went all in on doves. Like, people say John Woo uses doves a lot, but it feels like after this movie, they're like, okay, John, like, you can have the doves, but you gotta pull it back, like, a little bit. Like, don't, like, have your main character just throw a dove at someone. It's just, there's one thing in this movie that I both love and kind of irritates the shit out of me. Like, in that kind of it's silly and dumb kind of way, I love it, but I think the movie... Oh, I got one of those, too. I want to see yeah, the lines I, Yeah, I think the movie would have been better if they did it more this way. So, of course, they're mentioning the gun with Van Damme kicking people, but the way they do it is Van Damme will shoot someone nine times in the chest and then kick them in the face. <laughs> like, no, he should, be, he, should be, he should come up on someone, kick them... Like, like kick them away from him and then shoot them nine times that would have worked better that would have made more logistical sense my kicks aren't strategic they're just for adding insult yeah he stops halfway through is to halfway through shooting someone to be like oh i really just hate your face (laughs) but it would have been cool action if like someone jumped on him or something he pushes them back kicks them in the face they they knock a few feet back and then he shoots them nine times that makes sense he does what you do in a video game you're like oh technically uh, you know, punching someone is worth four bullets, and uh, this person is close enough to me that I can punch, so I'm going to throw a punch in in between bouts of bullets. Like, oh, I've already killed him, but I'm going to try out my new combo at the end. Yes, of the yes. It, it, it feels like he's playing a video game, because, like, logically, I'm going to sit they're... on their face ten times. The moment that annoyed me the most, and was, like, frustrating, was uh, earlier in the movie, with the cop, when, so when uh, Yancey first comes in, 
um, to the police station. The cop, it's her birthday. <laughs> oh, I love this. And she, and she has decided to, because apparently she doesn't want to let anyone know that she's made a birthday cake for herself. She puts the birthday cake in one of the drawers in the desk. Now, Yancey is there talking about her dad for quite some time. And when she leaves, the cop opens the drawer, pulls out a birthday cake that has had a candle lit the entire time. Who the fuck puts a lit birthday cake candle on a birthday cake <laughs> in like a drawer to hide it well, from people? It was like, casual, too. Every person on the planet blows it out and throws it in the drawer. She wasn't even trying to hide it, though. She just, like, she saw the cake and everything. She's just kind of like, ugh, someone else. And she, like, casually puts it in the drawer, shuts it, and is like, now how can I help you? But but she pulls it out at the end, like, blow out the candle. It's like a wood desk, too. It is not a metal-looking desk at all. And she's just like, whatever. I just, I've never, I've never seen that before, let alone that someone's like, this is a thing that people It's do. not only like a comp, it's supposed to be a straight up comedy bit, which this kind of shows the seams of. It's a weird placement for a comedy bit in between someone like pleading for where her dad went. <laughs> like an earnest discussion of homelessness, which by the way, this movie, one thing that's very refreshing about it. Uh, you know, maybe it came from the scriptwriter, but it feels like it came from John Woo, is that the movie genuinely cares about homeless people. And there's a scene where, yeah, they're, they're the daughter of a missing homeless person who was hunted in the game in the opening scene is going in to talk to this police detective. And they open it up with the, the cake, the cake joke. And it kind of feels like maybe something was lost in translation but it's the sort of beautiful weirdness that like he would really revel in in face off where you're just like wait why why is any of this happening why is he dressed like a priest and making horny faces at all these people like there's stuff that i think john wook found funny and they left in because it somewhat resembled a joke and no one knew how to cut around it (laughs) That seems like the easiest scene in the world to cut around. You cut out the beginning and you cut out the end. But yeah, no, this does this movie does have a very um humanistic like take on the homeless plight. Less so is that it's supposed to make us feel bad that the cops aren't around, like Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it no, there's just one cop. Just one cop working in New Orleans, it's fine. Uh, yeah. so the one good one, probably. Uh, something else that I, I love but it is is ridiculous, but it also just seems like a ramping up of things Van Damme already did in other movies. Because Van Damme, not so much a trope, but something he does in especially a lot of his earlier movies, as he does that, you know, he flashes a little bit of a smile and he does that wink to you, just melt your heart. He does that several times in this movie, you know, to, to the girl, to even to the bad guys at some point. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme winks at like a pigeon in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in the end scene when they're in the warehouse where's the pigeon wink <laughs> but he's standing up there and he's like making bird noises and then there's a pigeon on his shoulder and he winks at the pigeon before he then goes on to murder 30 people it's because he knows that his power is drawn from the power of pigeons because pigeons are the ultimate homeless heroes he is making a, a, a sort of homage to his god uh, presumably a pigeon John Woo kind of hypothesizes throughout the course of this and a lot of his movies that uh, pigeons and doves are not scared of uh, gunfire enough to, like, fly away because they stick around in the rafters and on the ground for a long time before they're like, oh, maybe we should leave. Like, they have the power of flight. They can just leave the second, like, I don't know, 
80 guys and a few jeeps <laughs> as opposed to like i want to see where this goes speaking of ridiculous shit that in action scenes that feels like it's uh gilding the lily a little bit little bit can anyone explain to me how the finale is supposed to work yeah things go boom <laughs> and people Don't die there's a great little fight moment where lance henriksen swings aboard at van damme Van Damme catches the board that's on fire, you know, just like total badass, and then roughs up Lance Henriksen. No one can take Van Damme in a straight fight. And then Van Damme drops a grenade down uh, down Lance Henriksen's pants. Lance Henriksen proceeds to ruffle around in his pants, does a really great performance there, does sincerely look like he's about to blow up, pulls the grenade out, and then proceeds to disassemble the grenade instead of just pitching it literally anywhere but in his pants. And then the grenade goes off because the fuse still connects with the internal parts of the grenade. Like, that is so much more confusing. Like, you actually have to know that a grenade is two halves, like the fragmentation part and the fuse half, to actually understand why the guy died it's so much more confusing than like just having him blow up with it in his pants or anything well that's because it also lends itself to perhaps the greatest last villain line of all time because he he does it he he takes the grenade apart and he's just like uh, a little relieved and then he sees the spark and then his last line of the movie is whoop <laughs> like wait a little fuck up there whoop <laughs> Oh, jeez. Oh, spoke too soon. Yeah, not everyone who dies in real life has a great script lighter to give them a one-liner right before they go out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, this blows or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this definitely... I'm not surprised that this podcast has come down to just a collection of moments and scenes, because that's kind of what uh, a 90s action movie is, for the most part. There's no themes. Like, there's no... Um, besides the theme of... When you've messed with Jean-Claude Van Damme, you have messed with the wrong man. Also, if you've messed with Wilford Brimley, probably in everyday life. And if you side against doves, ooh boy, you're messing with the wrong birds, my, my pal. Ooh, child. Man. The other kind of two, like, minor, very minor moments is just, like, the score in this movie. I'm not someone that notices the score, but this, the score in this movie is... The fucking worst. it is porn so, level. It is so so bad. It is like Kenny G and whatever Eric Clapton was doing in Lethal Weapon, and like a drunk country western singer performing in a bar for thirty people in Nashville. Like made music together, and it's just the. Worst. It sounds like it sounds like somebody who's never made music before is trying to imitate the uh, the Lethal Weapon score. Well, I kind of yeah, thought John exactly. Woo did it. Like, when I first heard it, I was just like, this kind of sounds like John Woo was like, yeah, I kind of know what I'm going for, and just picked up an electric guitar, which he does not know how to play. I was like, you know, like like one of, like one of those. <laughs> you, you think the score was, I like that, that the score was just him showing all the different instruments that he can play? Because it is like, saxophone, like, oh, we're doing that. We're doing some Michael Mann. It sounds really bad, but that's what we're doing. And then, like, later on, it's like, like almost a full country western song and then it's back to like jazz piano it's like what the fuck is this it's like all bad but it's all like i don't know all these different styles yeah like all these other things but it it doesn't seem like it It was just like you know kind of something like this like like a one of these like you're just fucking around real quick they were clearly trying to tap into all the sort of musical styles of new orleans like a sort of like you know 
uh, sad sax song and like, yeah, more jazzy piano song. Like they're trying to j- tap in all that stuff, but it all feels like it's filler stuff. Why are you using the placeholder stuff? Like, get a real artist in here to figure out a cool thing for this moment. Like, it just sounds like it's... It it sounds like... Many times it sounds like it's, like, sort of butt rock. Yeah, but it's, like, a temp score that, like, John Woo fucked around and made and was like, oh, yeah, fuck, I forgot to hire a composer. It's all placeholder bullshit, which is infuriating. Um, But it is funny because it's very often it'll make scenes seem really porny. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, well, that and John uh, Claude Van Damme's hair. Uh, the, the only other, uh, the last thing I had. Did you say Jean Claude um, Van Damme? Because that hair definitely clogs up a lot of drains, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, to the point that you have to move houses. You can't even fix it. It's like, let's burn this house down. Um, the only other thing I had, and this is probably my most important note, is that I want to make a fan version of this movie that is just playing the entire movie, but at the end, over the credits, is a parody version of Mr. Brightside that starts with, it started out with a kick, how did it end up like this? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. You want to remove uh, credence from this movie. You don't think that's the perfect ending uh, song? It's not even like on the nose, it like went through the nose and then into the brain and killed the person. <laughs> it was like, it, it, it's like, honestly, it's like when I'm picking songs for this show and I'm like, huh, what song can I use here? And then I just go on Spotify and I'm like, the movie has a cat in it. And then I just type cat and see what songs come up. It's it's like, it's like that. They're like, that's, a, that's a lot how I come up. Yeah. They're like, oh, they're like, oh, what's the thing with the bayou? Creighton's Quill Auto Revival, Born in the Bayou. They could have picked, like, oh, is it the 60s? Maybe we should play some Rolling Stones. (laughs) At least, though, that movie uses a good Korean song. I don't like Born on the Bayou. And so the fact that they would play it about the Bayou at the end of the Bayou movie and the Bayou scene is very funny. Um, There is maybe one of my favorite Van Damme moments of, of all of his cinema. And that's a scene where Van Damme's about to kick a bunch of people's asses. And he throws back the slicker like he's in a Western and he doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have a knife. It's just he's throwing he back his, his slicker so he has more leg room. <laughs> his legs are the guns. <laughs> that is very true. And that, that is a, a gorgeous moment. And I do think that was very much a John Woo thing. Just like, no, no, no. It's Yeah, your legs are your weapons, are your guns. Until later when we actually give you guns and you got to figure that out. But for now. But still use your legs. The legs are your guns. For that finishing blow. That's um, the actual tagline for this movie. Legs are guns. <laughs> Legs are guns. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I get really creeped out in this movie of uh, Van Damme's use of the word daddy uh, in reference oh, yeah. to his love interest father. Because like uh, when uh, they find out that the dad is dead, uh, the police and, and the lady and Van Damme are all there. And the police ask like, oh, what, what's your involvement in this? And it's like, I was trying to help her find a daddy. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, I bet you were, you fucking creep. <laughs> what is with... Did they, like, go to New Orleans to shoot? And they're like, they heard one sort of Cajun-sounding dude say, say daddy. And they were like, that's it. I think there's one papa. <laughs> is that a colloquialism? I feel like they do say father in, like, a like a context. Like, let's say, hypothetically, you're telling someone that their father is dead. Do you say your daddy is dead with no other sign of an accent? I do. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're a creep. 
Yeah, exactly. Daddy became one of those words, and it probably was always this word, but it's definitely true now, that um, adults should only say if they're using it for the fetish reasons. Like, it is, it's not a word that you should use in, as to refer to someone's father anymore. You get past the age of, like, four, and you're done. Like, you're, you're either into some stuff, which great, good for you, no judgment, or you're saying the wrong word. Say dad or father or papa. Yeah, well, because even, like, uh, in Louisiana, on that side of my family, like, my grandparents were like, mama and papa. Like, two mahas. Two paws. Like, that's what they were. But yeah, mommy and daddy weren't, like, used regularly. Uh, I did just have one final thing uh, that I wanted to bring up. Um, and, and I'm sorry to be rude, but Aaron, if you'll excuse us for a minute. Uh, so, Pete, um, mm-hmm. we, we need to have a little aside here, a little mini-up of uh, Hey Vern, It's a Podcast. Because you know what I was thinking so in on. this movie? Now, Aaron, now, Aaron, now you're going to do two Aaron? episodes of We Love to Watch Without Me? <laughs> this is a little mini-up. Uh, we'll we'll get back to yeah. you. Um, but when I was watching this movie, the very sleazy uh, guy that hands out the flyers that finds the homeless people, you know what I was thinking the whole time? You know who would have <gasps> rocked in that role? Gerard Sartain. Little Gerard Sartain. Could have thrown in some Gerard Sartain in there. Mama know what I mean? Mia. Yeah. Know what I mean? Anyway, okay, so end of episode. Back to We Love to Watch. How you doing, Aaron? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you guys just said. You might as well have just sat there and said pee-pee, poopy, farty pants, and I would have been like, all right, I understand this as much as... Okay, hey, Marcus. Not pee-pee, poopy, farty pants. Y- yes, honey? I mean, at least that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Well, great. I'm glad well, that, you guys that's had That's for the, the three crossover that things I was a part. <laughs> <laughs> So... You should be proud. We are proud. We're proud, proud of, of Ernest. I'm proud of Ernest. Yeah, you don't need to... Don't hide it under a bushel. No. <laughs> We're going to let it shine. Let it shine, guys. What uh, What are your guys' final thoughts on Hard Target? Uh, I mean, if you're, if you're going to watch an action movie starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, I'd pick this one. <laughs> like, I don't think there's another great competitor um, besides, I guess, some of these Universal Soldier movies. Um, but even those seem like they're still using a little bit of sci-fi and there's like... A little bit more, like, twist, a little bit more, uh, you know, stuff they're using to spice it up a little. But, like, if you just want, like, I just want to see when people are like, what's a 90s Jean-Claude Van Damme movie? You're not going to find a better choice. This thing's a blast. And perhaps the most 90s. It's super 90s. Yeah. And also, like, if you want to see good John Woo uh, American films... Or as most people would say, at American John Woo films, because that's the right way that word orders go. Um, you like you're gonna do Face Off, and then you're gonna be okay. What's next? And like Broken Arrow is like a three, and this is probably a number two for mm-hmm. me. And then there's like nothing else worth watching. That he did in the yeah. Game. This this one I think is has specific advantages to face off, but uh, it's not quite as insane. But it's also not quite as overshadowed by the performances as face off is. I think because it's very much like there's a lot of great action in it, but I think it focuses a bit too much on John Travolta and Nicolas Cage and kind of takes away from some of that. While, like you said, Van Damme's kind of an empty vessel in this movie for a lot of it. So the action shines through better, I think. And they've never made such a big Ah. character. That's an empty vessel, right? Like he's, he's got his, he's got a fake uh, Louisiana accent and crunchy hair and the trench coat. And he's an ex military guy. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of spice 
uh, on this po' boy, and they, <laughs> they, he's still, it's just like, he's still like, it, Kiss my it's grits. not the star of the show. He's not the star of the show. Lance Henriksen is, is the best actor yeah. in it, and it shows you sort of like, um, I don't agree with this, but Alfred Hitchcock used to say, you know, actors are cattle. He used to say, you know, actors are cattle, and because of the sort of like a impressionistic view of how um, photography and editing work, he was saying, like, I can make an actor do whatever I want, which I guess is sort of an extension of, like, Eisenstein and, and such. But Hitchcock was famous for saying actors are cattle. This movie makes it feel like he got a lot of what he needed out of Van Damme um, and cut a lot of the things that would be distracting from the meat of the movie, which is just, like, balletic action. And I think it's a pretty great... Uh, transition project for for John Woo and I think that it, it, it is probably the one traditional Van Damme before he got metatextual before he started like reflecting on himself before he started like really become coming into his own as a dramatic actor much later in his career I think this is the pure Van Damme movie I would recommend to people because I think it shows off what he can do physically, but it doesn't get into some of his silliness quite yet. Well, and I, I would love to see, so Marcus, I I do disagree with you on the, on the face off stuff, but because I, I like John Travolta and I like Nicolas Cage out trying to out ham each other throughout the course. Yeah, absolutely. That's very enjoyable. That's very enjoyable. But I do agree with you that I would have loved to – one of the things I love about Face Off is that, like, it's action scenes from, like, a budgetary standpoint and, like, epicness are almost, like, pornographic in their excess. Like – and he obviously had a lot more control and freedom and budget with with Face Off than he did with Hard Target, especially with the – with what happened in post-production. I would love to see the Hard Target version where he had the budget and control that he had with face off because i do agree that that seeing some of those more stripped down like from a it's it's much less plotty movie than face off so seeing what he would have done with that with you know a few years under his belt in uh the american film industry would have been very and with a budget to match and a control to match that he had on face off i would love to see that movie and i i could easily see that movie rivaling face off and as it is it's great but you know he just he really blew it up in the next couple movies and then everyone said please (laughs) please please stop and i do think that the fact that this is 96 minutes and the lower budget and everything you were saying i agree with you face off is almost pornographic in its size i think that there are charms in this that face off doesn't have that the raw direct namely wilford namely wilford brimley there's a raw directness to the violence in this that feels realer and more intimate um whereas face off is is almost it's almost like spiritual in its violence very often. Like bullets seem to have like a metaphysical quality to them. <laughs> and I think that, that, you know, I would have also liked to have seen a stripped town, rougher, rawer version of face off. Like I, I think I that's the two say. movies. Yeah. I would like to see both. Uh, Cause of course, like he was able to do that in face off because of the success of this movie. So yeah, I would like to see what he could have done with a movie like this with that freedom but yeah just the amount of excess and face off and like i said yeah i know there is a ton of really great action in it and especially a few really great 
action set pieces and stuff i feel like this entire movie is just an action set piece like from start to finish um but yeah i would yeah especially the last oh, yeah, third. I, but i would love to see a more stripped down version like how he would have made face off if this was his first if that was his first american movie like what he would have had to do or sacrifice or like what that would have become as well yeah no uh i i just wish we got to see more John Woo movies, I guess, in general in this phase because he clearly was building to something that then, like, just fell off very quickly. And um, I I guess I haven't seen Mission Impossible 2 in a long time. Uh, I mean, that was extremely successful, but everyone kind of was like, oh, that sucked. Pretty quickly after, I felt Mm -hmm. like. And then Paycheck was not good, uh, which sucks because it's Philip K. Dick and... Um, I you know, I only saw it once. I, I remember I like, like thinking it was okay. I didn't hate it. I remember seeing it in two thousand four, and um, which I think the so whenever it came out on DVD, which would have been the year after. I think the movie came out at Christmas, um, if I remember correctly. But I I remember the first like half hour is amazing, and I'm like, oh, people were way off on this movie, and then like it falls apart so quickly. That you're like, oh, I see. Great gotcha. setup. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it got me. So, anyways, uh, Marcus, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I really do mean that. Um, I, I love having you on. I think I think we we this was the obvious conclusion of a running bit for a long time of being able to have you on uh, and apparently make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I was literally playing my part the whole time. My feelings were never hurt. You can keep all of that in. Oh, Good, then fuck yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, no. How dare you? It's back Aaron, on. You know I love you. Like <laughs> this is all play for me, and I've enjoyed every second of it. Like, like keep you all you legitimately for a second, like, I'm gonna compose an email when I'm done with this because I thought we were at a good thing going, and I feel like I hurt his feelings halfway through. I've had a twist now. I'm me. just the Lance now. Hendrickson of podcasting. I'm a very good actor. Oh, <laughs> and I'm also very good at being a heel. <laughs> <laughs> well now now that I know that I'm I'm going to harden uh, a little bit more as a person. And when people go, hey, you've hurt my feelings. I'm going to be like, yeah. Well, fuck you. That's show business. Something similar to me once. And then he embarrassed me, <laughs> Mike, by, t- by twisting around and showing them my good heart, which I'm going to turn black. <laughs> Anyways, what do you got to promote? Oh, uh, yeah. So my website, Crest Cellulite, of course. Uh, you guys have already given me like five plugs on this show, which I appreciate. Um we do our plugs more plugs uh but yeah no i'm actually uh hopefully soon maybe by the time this is released i'm currently working on a piece uh about bo burnham's film eighth grade it started out as a review but it became more of a piece about anxiety and just everything like that because uh, that movie really had an effect on me uh of course do the van damme podcast sean pod van damme uh and the show that i do on the side with pete hey Vern, it's a podcast about Ernest and all that other dumb kid shit which you can find at crush celluloid and you can also find uh, right in this feed that you're listening to this right now because we post all the episodes here as yeah, well. yeah it's that thing you skip over <laughs> God damn it. Uh, <laughs> well, now it's back yeah. on. I don't know, Peter. Hey, Marcus, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Too, I'm going to choose to ignore Aaron's bile right now and just say uh, you were, as always, a lovely guest and uh love you, buddy. Well, Pete, yeah, as always, you're a great friend, a confidant, uh, probably my best <laughs> friend. And I know, I know you can't say it here, but I know I'm also yours. And Aaron, as always, kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think it's a fair assessment of where things are at in like the, the, our triumvirate relationship. Uh, so, on that note, Aaron, how are we closing like I, out? You know, how are we closing out this month? 
I don't know. It's weird. We basically haven't talked to each other this entire episode. Um, hey, Pete, how, how are they? They're good. They're good, man. They're good. Um, right. Yeah, we're, we're closing it out with uh, targets. Soft with, targets. And we're having it. Yeah, soft, soft targets. Uh, and when you see the movie, you'll know how sadly true that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a great joke when you watch it. Uh, so it was a it was a dissolved movie of the week. Uh, it's amazing, Peter. I think you are going to. I'm very excited to talk about it next week because uh, the running theme, as we've been announcing that we're doing targets, has been for our guests to go, "Oh, holy shit, you're doing targets!" Uh, and that really is the reaction I think for most people who've seen it. It it doesn't necessarily fit with the full most dangerous game. It is about someone hunting people in an urban environment, uh, but not one that they're aware of. There's no game. Uh, it's just kind of a sniper serial killer. But it's such a good movie that I wanted to talk about and wanted to show to Pete. It made sense to close out the month with it. Um, so, if you haven't seen Targets, it is available on Amazon to rent and like nowhere else. I don't even think there's a Blu-ray. I think you have to rent it in SD, which means it's like three bucks. So, you should do it because it's amazing. And I'm looking forward to Peter echoing that sentiment next week right here on We Love to Watch. We do not have an announcement for next month, right? I mean, we do. Do I do it next week? Uh, so we do it next week. Yeah, next month is going to be a little bit different where um, we're kind of taking a break from recording. Well, we're actually not taking a break from recording, but we're banking up some December episodes uh, for our Christmas break. And we we have a ton of stuff that we've recorded. Like it really is now like piled up. Because we were we were always like, hey, you know, if we ever need a week off, we'll release something like this. And it turns out Peter and I like talking to each other so much and recording this podcast that we don't like taking a week off, uh, even uh, from from releasing episodes of We Love to Watch. So, as such, we've amassed about um, six, seven episodes of things, and we're going to release them all over the course of September. So, uh, the pilot episode of this show, a unreleased musical May episode that Peter and I did, and then a few episodes of a side podcast that Peter and I uh, have done. And probably, I mean, if we, depending on the feedback, hopefully we'll continue doing, but they, they piled up. We recorded like two last year and two this year. And um, I guess before we waste our time. <laughs> more of them we should see what people think of the first one uh, but of course they're going to announce all this next week oh yeah we're all <laughs> yeah well we, well we just decided to do it <laughs> here's the thing you might not know this because you're not good at impromptu but sometimes you just got to go with the flow <laughs> and yes and no um that's what I have for you buddy <laughs> uh no thanks alright well <laughs> alright thanks I hate it Good night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a lot of fun folks thanks for listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch 
or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.